When I was growing up, we didn't have the money for organized sports. It was all pickup. But every time I imagined myself as Guy Lafleur scoring that overtime goal. Theisman throwing a touchdown pass. When I started to play golf, it was in the field behind our high school. We marked up three holes and spent as much time searching for our errant shots as we did hitting them. But even then, one of us was a Nicholas or a Johnny Miller. I know I'm dating myself, but I've always been a sports fan and I've always wondered what path someone has to follow to get to the pro leagues. I mean, thousands have that dream, but only a handful make it. And then when you're there, what does it take to compete and win and stay there? I guess that holds true for a lot of things in life. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Life Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Golf lesson anomaly in itself. You compete against everybody else, only your caddies in your corner. What makes it more of a test? You only get paid if you make the cut, if you're better than half the field. And the serious money? That's only when you're at the top of the leaderboard. So I want to know what it takes to compete. What are the lessons we can apply to our life in terms of preparation and patience, managing those defining moments and more? So I asked Canada's most successful golfer to join me on Life Matters. Brooke Henderson. Brooke Henderson. All right, Brooke Henderson, this is a historical moment. Three-shot lead restored for Brooke. She is not a Canadian story. She is a global story. Well done, Brooke. Well, you're going to love her. Uh, she just keeps on going. Good line, though. Oh, how about a stunt like that? Man. Life Matters is also available as a podcast. Download and listen to the latest episode. Find it using your iHeartRadio Canada app. At age 23, she's already won more professional tournaments than any other male or female golfer from our country. And on top of that, her fellow LPGA golfers voted her the Founders Award as someone who best exemplifies the principles and beauties of the game of golf. Burke Henderson, welcome to Life Matters. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk a little bit about your golf, but what I'm more interested in is the how. How you got to where you are and some of the advice that you can bring our listeners who are trying to make their dreams a reality. You know, I'm really fortunate, um, really blessed that my dad is actually my coach and I have an older sister who actually caddies for me out on tour. So it's always been um, very much a family event, you know, so I was really young when I started playing, like three years old. Um, my older sister, she's six years older, um, so she was nine, and we basically started at the same time. I was always trying to chase after her, always trying to be just like her. She was a huge role model for me. And then having my dad there as our coach, you know, we practiced every day after school, um, all the weekends. Um, in the summer when he was off on holidays, you know, we golfed every day. And my mom, you know, she doesn't play golf, um, but she's always been the number one supporter, huge cheerleader. And, you know, I'm just really grateful that I've had that support and, you know, all the sacrifices that my parents and my sister have made so that I can be in this position is just amazing. And, you know, I try to just realize that every single day and try to make the most of it. So I understand the entire DNA of the family, even your uncle Tom was the leading amateur. When you talk about getting involved with golf in age three, was it something you wanted to do or they just put a golf club in your hand like most parents put a spoon in their kid's three-year-old hand? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, it was sort of just uh, what our family did. And then I just fell in love with it. Um, and, you know, I wanted to spend time with my sister and my dad. And to do that, it was out on the golf course. So, you know, it was such a fun thing. Even sometimes we would take our dog Lucy with us, put her in the cart. We have a cottage right on a nine-hole course. And, you know, we'd spend all day there in the summer. And it was just a great way to be with the family, great way to be outside. You know, I think the game of golf just teaches you so many valuable lessons that I'm so thankful that my parents put me in it. And I just feel like it can make you a better person and also just so many great things. You know, I've met so many friends and been able to travel around the world just because I play the game of golf. When did you start realizing or when did people start thinking that this is more than just a three-year-old that wants to, you know, hang out with her sister. This is someone that has some extraordinary talent. I mean, your older sister was uh, uh, very successful in college golf. So when, when did the spotlight go on saying Brooke is special? Um, I started playing tournaments when I was nine years old, just locally. And I was pretty good. You know, I won quite a few of them just from the local events. Then I moved on to provincial, national, and then eventually international. I think probably when I was 14. That was really my breakout year. Um, I started playing professional events and I won my first pro event when I was 14 and I became the youngest one ever. It was just a CN women's tour event. Um, it's played here in Canada and it got me an invitation to go play against the LPJ in the Canadian Open later that year, which was just phenomenal. So I think 14, you know, I was winning a lot on the national stage and international. And then I was starting to play in pro events, which was pretty cool. I read Agassiz's book, uh, which I thought was one of the best sports biographies. And he said at the time, you know, with his dad pushing him, that there's times he resented it. that He just wanted to be a kid. Did you ever feel that way? Um, I mean, my dad and I have a great relationship. He's one of my best friends, which is pretty cool and really unique, especially since he is my coach. But he has always made a rule that he's always dad first. And I think that's really important. No matter what I did, I knew he was going to be proud of me as my dad. As a coach, I'm really thankful that he's pushed me, um, especially those times maybe I didn't want to hear it, but he did push me because that's his job as a coach. And I think he did a great job of separating those two. So I read an article that when you're 14, and obviously you're talking about this young phenom, and you were in the article said, someone said, what else are you doing? Well, I've got hockey playoffs. I've got my high school exams coming up. I've got two golf camps in Arizona. You were a busy kid. Um, Yeah. My parents put me into all sorts of sports and I loved all sports. Um, when I was really young, I actually did figure skating um, and then they needed a hockey goalie. So I said, oh, I'll give that a shot because my dad used to be a hockey goalie. Um, so I was sort of following in his footsteps there um, and I had a lot of fun um, playing hockey and I did it for probably six or seven years. Uh, until I was 14. And then I kind of had to make the decision where maybe I should focus a little bit more on golf since I was getting pretty good at it. Um, But I also played on my volleyball high school team. And in elementary school, I played on pretty much any sports team there was. I tried to play the flute, (laughs) um, but that was definitely a no-go. So I was definitely more the athletic type. And, you know, I just love to be a part of everything. And I feel like it's really Um, made my golf game better. You know, the athleticism and a little bit unorthodox, my swing. Um, But I feel like all those sports growing up, you know, just really combined together and made me a stronger player. What happened between you and your sister, if anything, when she realized you're going to go pro? Because I imagine when she went down to play college golf, she was also had similar aspirations. Was there any resentment ever in that or? My sister, she's super supportive and she would 
was an amazing player and she doesn't practice anymore. Otherwise I think she'd probably still beat me sometimes. Um, but yeah, you know, I was always trying to follow her in her footsteps. She made Canada's national team when she was 14. Um, and so did I. So I was always just trying to be just like her. And she took the college route and was really successful. Won a couple of tournaments down there was great. She actually did end up turning pro played a year on the Symmetra where she also played in, I think, three or four LPJ Tour events that year. And I was fortunate to caddy for her. She is a much better caddy than I will ever be. Um, so I'm grateful that once I did turn pro, I won my first LPJ Tour event. She was right there, and she was looking for a break from her own game, uh, just to change it up a little bit. And I was just grateful to have a caddy, and that was five years ago. So it's just crazy how time flies, but I'm grateful to have her by my side because I can't imagine traveling, you know, around the world, um, all these different places, doing it by yourself. You know, you really need somebody, and she's just been the perfect someone. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Life Matters, and today we're chatting with Brooke Henderson, PGA golfer, and already at 23, three weeks and four days old, Canada's most accomplished golfer. When we come back, Brooke says no to a college scholarship and decides to turn pro. Life Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. That's what the golf swing's all about. <laughs> it's about gaining control of your life and letting go at the same time. Jeez Louise. <laughs> there was only one other acceptable theory about how to hit a golf ball. Oh, boy. Well, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> well, what is it? What's the other theory? Grip it and rip it. The wait is over for Canadian fans and the dream is now a reality for Brooke Henderson. A Canadian wins. Listening to Life Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Welcome back to Life Matters. I'm chatting with Brooke Henderson. If you're just joining me now, we're talking about a world-renowned athlete who chooses to go pro instead of going to uh, college. And I want to talk a little bit about that and then the incredible success she has making that decision. So how old were you when you turned pro? I was 17. So that must have required a big choice in your part, because I have to believe you would have had, given your success in amateur competitions in North America, you must have had a lot of colleges knocking at your door. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was a really fun time um, to receive all the different universities' letters, um, have coaches come and watch me play at amateur and junior events. It was really great. And I've always been a huge fan of the University of Florida. When I was in grade eight, I painted my room orange and green to match their colors with some blue in there as well. And, you know, I painted my binder to match gator colors. I wore gator clothes. So that was my number one school. I really wanted to go there. Um, and they offered me a full scholarship. So I actually committed the winter before I turned pro. And I was ready to go play for them. But I had a really successful summer that year and I was number one amateur in the world. I'd won a lot of events and it just seemed that I was ready for that next step. So my dream of playing for the University of Florida, my dreams changed a little bit. I'm still a huge fan, but I decided that my game was ready and I need to take it to the next level. Let's talk a little bit about that. So how 
tough was that decision? You're winning a lot. You're the number one amateur in the world. You feel you can play at a professional level. But there's also that stigma of society saying, but get your degree. So how did you make that decision? Yeah. And, you know, my dad was an elementary school teacher. My mom was um, a teacher with mentally disabled people as well. So they really believed in education. And my sister went to school and got her degree. It was a tough decision for sure. But as a family, we know we just tried to talk through the pros and cons. And we just felt that my game was ready. And we didn't know if I went to school, if it would still be there by the time I finished four years later. So we just decided, you know what, let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, then I can always go back to school. We tried it. And I'm just really grateful that we did because I found success right away on the LPJ Tour. And my ultimate goal when I was younger was to be an LPJ Tour member and win. I was doing that and I was only 17. So it was pretty cool. So talk to me about being a 17 year old in a world where you're walking in, some of your idols are playing, it's the, the sponsors, the, the, the microphones, the camera. It's a very different world. How do you mentally adjust as someone that young to saying I can not only compete against the best in the world, but I can also be a presence among the best in the world? It was a huge learning curve. Um, absolutely. I feel I was really fortunate when I did get that sponsor invite when I was 14 years old to go and play in my very first Canadian Open against the best in the world on the LPJ. That was a huge eye-opening experience. I didn't make the cut, but you know I played decently. I got to play with Alana Sharp, who is actually one of my best friends now out on tour. I met Lori Kane and I felt like I was kind of like the deer in the headlights. <laughs> you know, I was just staring at her and I couldn't believe it. Being in the locker room, eating in the dining, uh, just being with them, having the cameras follow me around, having multiple interviews after I finished. It was just a huge experience. And I feel it really, like I said, it really opened my eyes and, and got me prepared in a way. I felt like if I continued on my path, continued to work hard and kind of got used to this lifestyle that maybe I could make a career out of it down the road. And slowly, you know, I started to put myself in contention. And then, you know, that year in 2015, I finished third at Swinging Skirts out in California in San Francisco. And I played in the final round with my huge role model, Morgan Pressel, who I looked up to my entire life. And I was playing in the final group of an LPJ Tour event with my role model. I should have played better than I did, but it was kind of another of those things where you just learn from it. You know, you can't really give in to anybody. That's the tournament you're leading after the half. You're setting record score. A lot of people would walk away from that tournament going one way or the other. One way is I, I choked or I didn't win and lose confidence. You seem to have taken a lot out of that tournament. Tell the listeners, how do you do that? Because everybody tries and fails. That's just part of life. How do you try, fail and turn that to a, a positive? I don't know if there is a secret to it. You just kind of have to live and learn, I think. But for me, you know, I just try to take the positives from that event and realize, you know, a couple of things that I could have done better. And one was I just looked over my shoulder too much. I just wanted her respect so much. But to earn her respect, I needed to go out and beat her, you know. So I kind of learned that afterwards. That was just another stepping stone along my journey. And it was really important for me to kind of go through that, to be beaten um, on the last round. Because then later on that summer, when I was in the final group with her again, you know, I didn't give in and I was able to go on and win. And I won by eight shots. You see these ebbs and flows in the tour where somebody gets really hot for a while and they seem to lose their golf swing and then they get hot again. How do you as a professional athlete, deal with the changes that you really aren't within your control. I think the number one thing I've learned since I turned pro is, is patience. Um, you know, you're going to have the ups and downs. It can be 
very tough on you mentally um, and physically, but definitely mentally. So I think, you know, just patience, writing it out, continuing to work hard, um, even when things aren't going your way, because you know they'll always come around. You mentioned looking over your shoulder. Do you ever feel that you're letting your dad down or your sister down if you don't play well, given the fact that you are sort of the lead singer of this family business? I know that we're always giving it 100%, all of us, you know, dad's always trying to get a great strategy for the course. Britt's always working hard, giving me good numbers and trying to navigate the conditions. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the guy that hits the shots. Um, But I have all this information given to me and I just try to make the best decision that I can. I don't feel like I ever, you know, let them down. And I feel like that's important. When we do make a mistake, we all feel like we all made a mistake. And so we try to learn from that, you know, make a couple changes here and there so that doesn't happen again. I'm a big believer in influence and authority when you're working in a team setting. It sounds like you're really talking about your dad and your sister's part of your team. When do they have authority over Brooke Henderson? And when do you just say, I've got to play that shot? Yeah, on the golf course, we always say that I'm the boss. (laughs) Um, you know, I have to be comfortable and I have to hit the shot. Um, but like I said, you know, they're always just giving me as much information as possible. And we're trying to get better, all three of us. And, you know, I think when we're practicing, I'm more listening and, and trying to take their advice and, and move forward. Um, but when I'm in a tournament on the course and it's Sunday afternoon and I'm hitting that shot, I just try to take it all in and then make the best decision that I can. Does your sister ever have the older sister look when you're reaching for your six iron and she's looking at you and trying to hand you the five iron? Do you ever get that sister look that you would have had years ago had nothing to do with golf? It's really great to have an open relationship with your caddy. I think that's really key, you know, to be really honest. And she can definitely be really honest with me, um, especially when she thinks I should be hitting something else. And I feel like I can be really honest with her too, which is great, um, you know, because in those tough situations, you, you need to trust each other. When you're working with someone like your sister and all the attention, the cameras and the microphones are on you, what, what have you learned in terms of how to share that so that the people that are working with you feel they're as much part of your success as you are? For sure. You know, lots of times they're kind of behind the scenes and don't get the recognition that they really deserve because um, I definitely wouldn't be in this position without them. I try to, um, you know, let people know how big of a part they are. They just sacrificed so much. Britt giving up her career and jumping on my bag. You know, my dad and my mom, you know, when I was growing up, driving me all across North America to different tournaments and getting off work early and trying to take me out and just doing all these these small things that really have added up to the big things. So I think it's important for everybody to know that they are the reason I'm here um, and a huge part of the success of our team. Do you ever miss being a normal kid? You would have grown up with a lot of the speed bumps and, you know, you grew up in Smith Falls. It was probably a pretty good pace to life. And now you're, you're suddenly going in the fast lane. Any regrets at all? No, you know, I think my parents did a great job of having me play other sports and be a part of different school events. And, you know, I had great friends and they really respected my decision and they were always supporting me, which I think was great. And, you know, when I had time, I would hang out with them. And otherwise, they understood that I was trying to do something and they had their own goals and dreams, too. So they were really focused in doing those things as well. So, you know, I think I was really surrounded by great people and I don't feel... I mean, maybe a few things, but for the most part, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I've gotten to live my dream and I've been really happy. Tony Chapman, Life Matters. We're talking to Brooke Henderson. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the shot where the world paid attention. Text me at any time at 71010. This show is about ordinary people who find their way to doing extraordinary things. 
Life Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, and a big thank you to RBC for sponsoring Life Matters. Speaking of matters, I have a question for you. You check in on your family, the status of your health or car. When was the last time you did a check-in with your finances? Well, RBC Check-In is a virtual experience with no obligation. I got answers to all of my money questions, big and small, and I now have a plan for my future. Book a check-in at rbc.com slash check-in. Closes out Lydia Ko with a birdie in the first playoff hole. The 2016 KPMG Women's PGA Champion and her first major. First of what could be many to come. Life Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, presented by RBC. June 26, 2016. Brooke Henderson starts the back nine. She's three strokes behind. And this is for the KPMG PGA Championship. You go into a playoff and you birdie the first hole. That's a very different Brooke Henderson, I imagine, than when you first got in the LPGA, that you just really have that confidence. How soon did that all come together that you really felt that anything is possible when you're competing? Yeah, you know, after I won my first LPGA Tour event, that was a huge breakthrough and I felt a ton of confidence, you know, to be able to win against the best in the world. And my first victory, I won by eight shots. So again, that was just a huge boost. Um, and that was in the August of 2015. Then going into the 2016 season, I, you know, I wanted to get off to a, a solid start and, and prove that I belonged out there. I was able to get 10... 10 top 10s right in a row to start the season, um, which was awesome. And I still didn't have a win, but, you know, I felt like I was really close and it was going to happen anytime. And I went into that, my, into that major, um, and everything just seemed to go right. I got a hole in one on the Thursday, gave my sister a brand new car. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, that Sunday was, was playing well, made a, I think it was like 30-yard eagle putt, 90-footer um, for eagle to get closer to the lead on the 11th hole. Made a couple more birdies coming in. Uh, shot 65 on a Sunday. Um, final round of a – Low round of the week. It was just incredible. Um, and then was able to get into a tie with, at the time, the number one player in the world, Lydia Ko, who I have a huge amount of respect for and um, is just an amazing player in person. So, you know, I just had a little talk with myself in the locker room and said that, you know, if I'm going to pull this off, you know, I need to get off to a fast start because the longer this goes on, the more holes, um, she's probably gonna, she's probably gonna win. You know, she's the number one player in the world. So my plan was just to go out and get off to a fast start. When I hit my tee shot down the left side of the fairway, hit my seven iron to about three feet, um, and was able to make that three footer while my hands were shaking like crazy uh, to make a birdie and win my first major. So a lot of people listening, they're they're not competing for a world championship, but they're going into a board meeting, a presentation, they're going for an interview for a job. What advice can you give them about composure and finding a way to execute, even though if somebody looked inside, they could hear your heart beating and everything that goes with stress? How how do you do it? 
Um, I feel like the more you're in those situations, the more you can learn to stay composed and to be calm. But, you know, in that situation, I just really tried to keep myself focused, um, you know, one shot at a time and what my plan was for each shot. Um, and knowing that this was my one chance um, to win a major. I didn't know if I'd be in this position again. So I was just trying to do everything I could to try to get this one across the line. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about COVID, but now this this year we're playing without crowds. What's that like for a professional athlete that can't feed off the energy of the people around them? It's very different, um, especially, you know, when I play here in Canada, there's always huge crowds and the Brook Brigade, which is really awesome. And I look forward to that event every year. And, you know, that event didn't even happen this year um, due to the pandemic. So it is very different. Um, I feel like the energy of the crowds just adds so much. Uh, when you walk up onto the tee and you see the people around you, you hear the applause, you kind of get goosebumps. And, and this year you still get a little bit, but it's just not quite the same. So I look forward to whenever we can safely have fans come back to the events. So since 2015, I mean, IMG is your, your agent. RBC obviously was one of the first to sign up. But you've got a number of sponsors now, people that want to attach themselves to your brand. I have to imagine a big part of it is winning that Founders uh a trophy where the LPGA recognizes you as someone that holds holds this game in the highest honors. But how do you manage having all those sponsors and still focusing on trying to be a world-class winning athlete? Time management is a really big key. Um, and as I mentioned, I, you know, I have a great support team with my parents and my sister and also with IMG, um, you know, to try to help me perform at my highest level by also getting the proper amount of rest, being able to put the practice in, and then also doing my responsibilities and the things I want to do, like playing in charity events and helping out where I can. So definitely a lot of time management, but you know, I'm really grateful to have very supportive partners um, and people and partners that I really believe in and I'm proud to promote. Just joining me, I'm chatting today with Brooke Henderson, who is Canadian, a world-class athlete, and her sport is golf. Age 23, she's already won more tournaments than any male or female Canadian golfer. Brooke, is it true that PGA and LPGA golfers only get paid when they perform and you have to pick up your own expenses? Yes, that is true, um, which is a tough way uh, to live, I guess. And so it's really important that you make the cut every week. Um, and I feel like that's every professional golfer's you know, main goal. And then after that, you know, you're climbing the leaderboard and, and trying to get a win or a top 10. But, you know, it's definitely important to make the cut so you can pay your expenses for that week, uh, pay your caddy, and then anything else after that is bonus. I can't imagine another industry that could get away with the with the people starting out, basically, which would be most of the young golfers and saying the only way you're, first of all, to get your card is something, but it doesn't count for anything unless you win. What were golfers thinking that they signed up to that? Because it just seems to be labor practices from 200 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think golfers are a little crazy maybe, but, um, you know, just really makes it really important to be always consistent um, and to make a lot of cuts. Um, and then, you know, you don't have to worry as much. But as you mentioned, for somebody um, just starting out, it's very tricky. Um, and you need you need some friends and you need some family to help you out um, because golf is very expensive and you're traveling every single week um, to a different place, you know, on the LPJ case in a different part of the world. So, you know, expenses do get high. So when you're starting out, it's tricky. Um, and after that, you know, like I said, consistency just plays a huge role. So you're one of the best of the best. And in a short period of time, your prize money from Wikipedia says is around $7 million. But when you look out there and you see basketball and baseball players with these 260 and $300 million contracts, 
some will make more in a month than most golfers will make in a career. Is that frustrating? Um, I think, you know, that's where equality comes in for male versus female. Um, and I think we're making gains on the LPGA Tour for sure. Um, when you compare our money to the PGA Tour, it is very shocking, um, sort of devastating. But, you know, I think we are making small gains. Mike Wan, the commissioner of the LPGA, is always working really hard to, you know, try to increase our purses and get sponsors um, who, you know, respect what we do and are trying to, you know, make that gap a little bit smaller. And I think that's great. And, um, you know, it's kind of a fun time to be a part of the LPJ Tour where we're really pushing for that. Um, and hopefully it just continues to get better. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. Text me at any time at 71010 and I'll get back to you. I'm chatting with Brooke Henderson, age 23. Brooke's a golfer who plays with heart and has heart. But with success comes the pressure of fame, fortune, and a following. Can Brooke manage all while continuing to pursue her dream of becoming the best player in the world? Well, that's next. Great line just left. Wonderful shot. Today there was a focus. There was no smile until I saw you walk up to the 18th green. How intense was it out there for you? Uh, Yeah, you know, I wanted to enjoy and appreciate the crowd, and I really did all day, but, you know, I just wanted to make sure I stayed focused so that I could have this moment at the end, and I feel like once I hit that shot in on 18, I was like, wow, I actually just did this. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. We'll be right back with more Life Matters with Tony Chapman. Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. At age 23, she's already won more professional tournaments than any other male or female golfer from our country. I want to now talk about Brooke Henderson in life beside and one day beyond golf. Go back to this Founders Award voted by fellow golfers as someone exemplifies the game. That must be an incredibly proud moment when you receive that. Yeah, it was really awesome, you know, to be voted by the other players, the people I spend, you know, every day with. To have them think of me that highly is pretty cool. When I first joined the tour, there was always a sign up in the locker room that said, act like a founder. And I think that's really important because these 13 women that started the LPJ tour have really paved the way and made this all possible. Um, and they were just great women. And so, you know, I'm always just trying to become a better person and a better golfer every day. How important is it that every golfer that plays exemplifies a similar attitude in terms of creating the overall value, the support that brands say, I want to be part of this group because that's exactly the kind of values that we want to build our brand with as well. I think the LPJ Tour, we're known to be very open to fans. And, you know, we sign a lot of autographs, take a lot of pictures, especially, you know, with the younger generation. We do a lot of extra things with our programs and program parties. Just, you know, we're a little bit more open to the public and our fans, and we just really appreciate them. And I think that's kind of what we're known for. What do you know now, even at your very young age, that you wish you had known when you were 14, when you really decided to make golf your future? I feel like you never know what the future is going to hold, um, but just to, you know, stay on your course, stay patient, work hard. You know, you need breaks along the way. I've gotten a lot of breaks and I'm really blessed and thankful for that. But, you know, just try to continue to work hard and do all that you can because um, you never know, you know, where you can go or what you can do. And in terms of the present, you talked earlier about time management. 
Do you feel your life is in balance that you're getting to see enough of what's out there in the world and still find enough time to be one of the top golfers in the world? Absolutely. Um, you know, in, in other years, um, not 2020 necessarily, the pandemic, but, you know, being able to travel around the world and visit all these places that I never would have had a chance if I didn't play professional golf and to meet people from all corners of the world and have great friends. It's been an amazing life and I'm happy that I get to be a part of it. Your journey's just begun. I mean, you're, and you're already seeing fame, fortune, and recognition. What else do you plan to do with that? As I said, you know, I'm always trying to become a better person um, and a better golfer. And, you know, I try to make a difference in the world, you know, just even doing small charity events or, you know, just trying to reach out to the local communities. And I feel like down the road, you know, I just want to continue to help. I want to continue to help grow the game as well um, and just do what I can and try to make the world a better place. I imagine there's a lot of people that would love you to be a role model for women in Canada. Uh, is that something that interests you down the road? Do you, do you see politics or do you see yourself driving change, improving inequalities, doing more because you have the attention of so many people? I feel like, you know, right now I'm just focusing uh, mainly on my game and, you know, hopefully by continuing to play well and push the limits on the pay equality, things like that, you know, it gets noticed and the LPGA continues to close that gap just doing things like that in my own sport um, and then eventually you know I, I'm not really sure what the future holds you know like 10 years from now but I'm excited and I feel like there's lots of opportunities it strikes me you'll be winning for the next 20 years not just the next the next 10 years Brooke Henderson thank you so much for being part of uh, Life Matters and sharing your stories and some of your life lessons with, uh, with the listeners thanks so much Joining me now on Life Matters is Matt McGlynn. He's the Vice President of Brand Marketing. I wanted to come on and share a little bit about RBC's strategy of investing in Canadian athletes and his opinion, because he's someone that actually knows Brooke Henderson. So Matt, welcome to Life Matters. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. RBC has spent a lot of time really building up relationships with Canadian athletes and helping them get to where they want to go. Why is that part of your marketing strategy? Well, I think for us, um, especially when you're in an industry like telco, FI, being distinct and differentiated is difficult. So you really have to align yourself with properties and athletes that share common values. And um, I think in turn, make consumers feel a different way about, about the brand. And so you've met Brooke Henderson. How, when did you first meet her? I have. Yeah, I think I met, I met her about six years ago, actually. What was your first impressions of her? Uh, very humble. Um, you know, how respectful she was, um, was, was very enlightening. Um, she's a big family person, obviously. Her parents are highly involved in her career and her sisters are caddy. So um, small town girl, I was really blown away by... Um, yeah, just how humble and how much humility she had in her game. And so six years later, she's now Canada's most successful golfer. She's winning the Founders Award for, uh, you know, how she exemplifies it. Has she changed at all? No, no, I got to be honest. You know, the, the, the more you get to know someone, there is obviously a competitive fire. You don't get to win, what, have 50 top 10 finishes, 9, 10 career victories by not having that. So um, if anything, I think um, she's allowed to see to have her personality shine through a bit. And, and you see a little bit more of that underlying ferocity that she has when she competes. And what's the relationship like with her sister and her uh, her dad when they're out in the course? 
Yeah, they're very close, obviously. She grew up in Smith Falls, Ontario, um, just outside the Ottawa Valley there. So, um, yeah, I think her parents and her dad specifically really helped with her golf game in the formative years. And having her sister there as a confidant on the course and someone who's um, an accomplished golfer as well has been something that separated herself from the pack. Talking to Matt McGlynn, he's the vice president of brand marketing at RBC. And, you know, obviously you invest in a lot of athletes, but not all of them get to the top of the game. The way, What do you think separates just a great athlete to someone that can actually be among the best in the world. The great athletes have this optimism and this optimistic outlook on life, which I find intoxicating when you're around them enough, right? You almost have to have that, that positive outlook to get through some of the ups and downs they have, this kind of buoyancy to get through these darker times. And, um, you know, our RBC Olympian training where we bring in all of our athletes from across Canada. And it's some of the most motivating times because just the energy that these people have, and the resilience they have, it really shows through. How can we bottle that and bring it to the, to Canadian people in general, the listeners that are listening in now? Like what, is there any secrets in terms of how we can approach life with that kind of attitude? Yeah, I think, I think you know, everyone, especially now, the, the fact that, you know, COVID is, is, seems to be spiking a bit, unfortunately, um, just having that um, positivity and, that, and that, that proper mindset is something we're all focusing on. And um, that paired with, uh, you know, the other thing that you don't see and, and everyone talks about, it, it's all about the effort you put in when no one's looking, but you know, the number of golfers I've seen people like Jim Furyk, who's been on the course, Brooke does it too, but you know, they're there early, their tea time is probably mid afternoon and they'll, they'll hit until like the sun goes down. Right. So I think that positive outlook paired with this unrelenting, unrelenting like tenacity is, is what really separates athletes. And if you apply that to a business setting or your personal life, I think you're going to find a lot of happiness there too. This virus has infected and impacted every corner of our world. Lives have been lost, families have been separated, our mental health has been weakened, education disrupted, and for some, our livelihood has been stolen or threatened. I encourage you to download my podcast, Chatter That Matters, on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. In every episode, I feature someone, an individual, a small business owner. We talk about their dreams, what's happened since COVID has hit them like a sledgehammer. And then I match them up with some thought leaders. And we find incredible insights to help them and all of us get to where we need to go. What I've learned by doing these is that we all have choice. Life often isn't easy. And at times like this, it isn't fair. But we can choose to act. We can choose to help each other. We can choose to bridge the divides that divide society. We can choose to shop locally, wear a mask, and even help ourselves. If we have too much time, turn it into enriching your mind and body. Homes become a prison, then unlock the doors and reach outside, even if it's virtually. Get off the screen, play a board game. And if life has become a nightmare, seek help. If your dreams have been shattered, work to find new ones. As I'm a believer in what Walt Disney said, and people like Brooke Hedison prove that if you dream it, you can do it. Tony Chapman, you're listening to Life Matters. Let's chat soon. Life Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. You can also hear a brand new episode every Friday across your iHeartRadio Canada talk network.